Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, we're so glad that you're joining us here today, whether in Ajax, Port Perry, Bowmanville, at a cottage around the world. Welcome to week five in our series out of the Ten Commandments. Lack of rest is everywhere. We're living in a time where people have lost the perspective of rest and view even rest as a gift. It all began really when we invented what we now take for granted, the modern light. We conquered the night. We can be awake at all hours. The natural rhythm of day and night was broken. We now live in cities that never sleep, especially in the last 24 hours. But not only that, you can be wide awake in your bedroom with all sorts of lights on at 3 a.m. and not think it's unnormal. But that's not the only thing that just changed the trajectory of the human experience. It's when we paired light with technology and we invented these. Last summer, according to Christianity Today, the Nielsen Company did a major study on American adults. And they found that now the average American adult spends 11 hours, almost half their day, consuming some form of media. From the moment we wake up, we instinctively check our phones. Through our daily commutes, we're listening to the radio or podcasts in the background. And at the end of the day, we all come home, we might eat, and we binge on Netflix. We live those statistics day in and day out. We now, as, a, as adults, spend more time in the West consuming media than eating, sleeping, or working. What is more telling and actually more concerning is that Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, when he was reflecting on the greatest threat to Netflix as a company, it wasn't another company, it wasn't technology, it wasn't globalization. He simply said the biggest dangerous factor against Netflix and its profit line is your sleep. He just declared that rest is competing with profit. And we wonder why anxiety and worry and depression is growing at an exponential rate. Because we never rest. We never rest from information and we never rest from entertainment. There is no space to process. See, information only becomes wisdom when you work it out in time but we know everything immediately. There's a terrorist attack, we know it two seconds later on Twitter. There's an earthquake somewhere, and we see it on Instagram. We, we know <clears throat> who broke up with who. We are drowning in data, and we have no time to breathe, process, or reflect. And then, of course, there's the misunderstanding of rest itself. Rest does not just mean to stop activity. One of the original meanings of rest, if you look it up in Latin, was to savor something in the moment. Think about it, when someone dies that we love and there's a pastor or a priest and we bury them, what do we say? R.I.P. Rest in what? Everyone say it together. Peace. We're not saying, oh good, they're not doing work anymore. I hope it works out. We're actually saying because they know the Lord Jesus Christ, they now can savor eternity. So we come to the fourth commandment. You shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, lots of you who are seekers or skeptics might have very little or no church background or come from another faith, so you don't even know what Sabbath fully is or what that means. 
Then there's a whole other group of us that grew up in church, and we're getting nervous as I'm already preaching because we're wondering where this is going to go because when the word Sabbath or holy day or day of rest comes up, words and feel, feelings like confusion and misunderstanding and, and dogmatism and legalism and hard feelings and memories, using this as, uh, people using this as spiritual abuse sort of come to the table. Now, when I first preached on this, I think it was in 2008, I interviewed a whole group of our staff about their Sabbath upbringing if they grew up in church. One of our former office administrators grew up in Methodist churches, and when she grew up, she was not allowed to watch TV on Sundays, unless, of course, it was Christian TV, then that was allowed, but she was not allowed to play outside at all. She grew up in Northern Ireland, and they were not allowed to go out to eat at a restaurant on Sunday or buy anything. Now, when they immigrated to Canada, they came to sort of a middle-class evangelical church in the middle of Toronto. And of course, since at that time this was the thing to do, they were immediately invited out to where? Swiss Chalet. And they were taken to Swiss Chalet, and she tells of the moment they're sitting there eating this chicken they had never had, feeling like they were sinning and not knowing why these other Christians were helping them break the Sabbath. Is this what God is intending for us? One staff member years ago told me that he and his siblings were not allowed to play sports. Every afternoon, there was a mandatory nap because it was declared in the Bible a day of rest. They were not allowed to go outside other than to church. On Sundays, they must wear their best dress clothes, but inside during the day, you could be casual with your clothes. And the kicker is TV was forbidden. Unless it was Walt Disney, then that was okay. Now, the only work allowed on the day was homework, but no other work. Is that what God was intending for us? Angela, who's still in our community on our staff group in Baptist circles like I did, and was told as a child Sabbath meant church twice a day, not once a day. There was to be no playing of cards on Sunday, no shopping of any type. You could play cards, by the way, Monday through Saturday, and like the other family, there was a mandatory nap. Only Christian music could be played, Gaithers, of course, at that moment. And, and not only that, in this house, unlike the other house, no homework was allowed because that was work too. Is this what God wants? My most vivid memory of this comes from a camp 45 minutes north of here called Fair Havens. On Sunday, there was no golf, no bike riding, no volleyball, no sports. And this was the big one for us. You could not swim in the swimming pool because if you swam in the swimming pool, someone would have to work to take care of you, which was violating the Sabbath. But you could if you wanted to go swimming in the canal by yourself. Fine. And yet, <laughs> and yet you were not allowed to fish in the canal because that was work. I wondered at a 10 or 11 years old, where is all of this in the Bible? Well, one day I had had it, and I decided to ignore the rule, and my parents were all for this, and so while they went to church, I went fishing for pike. And then it happened. I caught the biggest pike I have ever caught in my life. I battled. My adrenaline was rushing. It was me against the world. I'm sure it was like two and a half minutes. I thought it was an hour, and I won. Now, I was so excited because in the back of my mind was not the fishing experience. I knew that the biggest fish every week was awarded with a trophy and an ice cream sundae the size of you. So I'm going, I've got this. So not thinking, full of childlike excitement, I strung up the slimy pike, and as church, no word of a lie, is getting out, I walked into the lobby of the church at Fairhavens. Well, it is swinging to death, and I was so excited, surrounded, of course, by polka dots and polyester, and I'm like, look what I caught, and it's like I'd murdered somebody. <laughs> the Sabbath had been violated. Is this what God intends for us? History, by the way, is full of this. When Boston was at its height and, and Puritan ideas were running the city, a Boston sea captain returned home after a two-and-a-half-year voyage. 
His wife ran out of the gate to kiss him and welcome home, and she was promptly put into prison because she was working on Sunday. But now we have another problem. It's always the extremes. Now people are like, well, I don't believe any of that, and I've been free of all of that, so now it's not really a holy day. It's a holiday for me. I mean, I'll honor God and worship God if there isn't something better to do and if I'm not tired and if I feel like it and if it's not been a really hard work week and if there isn't 1.5 million other activities that my kids want to do, uh, maybe I'll come and do this worship thing. And you know, if I'm still tired and I need an extra coffee, a podcast will be enough for me, right? See, in reaction to a wrong past, many have now committed the same sin in reverse. You've gone from legalism to licentiousness, from forced worship and community to optional worship and community. Many of you have put your own views and your own histories above the rest of us, and you think you can do what you want, when you want, how you want, and no one's going to tell you how to run your life anymore. Is that what God is allowing? So the question is, is this a holy day? Is it a holiday? Is it optional? And by the way, what day are we talking about? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or another day? Well, let's start with seeing the command in the light of the first three. J.I. Packer helped me a lot when he wrote these words. We must honor God not only by our loyalty, command one, and our thought life, command two, and our words, command three, but also the use of our time in a rhythm of toil and rest, six days for work, I love this word, crowned, by one day for what? Worship. God's claim, notice that word, God's claim, his ownership on our Sabbaths reminds us that all of our time is his gift to be given back to him and used for him. When we sing songs like Take My Life, this includes take my moments, take my days, take my time, take all of it. This is where true obedience to the fourth command begins. So John, what's Sabbath? Well, God, after six days of creating, rested on the seventh day and he called it holy. Now, I was confused as a kid because I was taught my whole life that God was all-powerful and God was all-knowing and all-present. And I could never reconcile in my seven-year-old mind why God had to rest on the seventh day. It's not like he went, oh my goodness, six days. I'm so, can I have a latte, angels? Anyone sit down. I'm just, I'm done. No. What did God say when he looked at creation? It was very, what's the word? Good. God wasn't like, I'm so exhausted, man, I need a break, let's Netflix. No, he's saying, I want to savor what I have built. I want to sit in the moment, and I want to enjoy this beautiful, artistic, mathematical thing I have done. So he declares the seventh day holy. Holiness doesn't mean without sin in this case. It means set apart, exclusive, different. Now for the Jews, even now, if you have any Jewish friends, Sabbath is Friday night sunset to Saturday night sunset. So let's travel back to time just before God utters these words of freedom and love. The Jewish people have been enslaved for 430 years. Oppression. No justice, no freedom. They didn't have calendar problems, time management. They didn't have that right. Now, most of the time, as modern readers and followers of God, we never connect the dots that this is actually a command and a gift. The harsh regime that the Israelite people had endured under Pharaoh was now broken. They had lived like slaves. They, by generation, had known nothing else, so they would naturally continue to think like slaves, though they were no longer slaves. Now, I want everyone to think about this. We sing songs in this church all the time, like Jesus has broken all these chains and break every chain, and I'm no longer a slave to fear, but 
but I'm a what? Child of God. Right, you can sing all of that, and that can be positionally true, but you still can act like a slave even though you're no longer a slave. And so God comes to these people that are now free and says, you're no longer a slave, and the way I'm going to help you no longer keep going back to Egypt is I'm going to give you a command and gift that's going to let you do something called rest. God gives this last vertical command so they could be empowered not only to be human again, but to know God. See, never forget this. God said to Pharaoh, let my people go so they can come and what? Worship me. Exodus 28, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. On the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, your son, daughter, manservant, maidservant, animal, alien, or the alien within your gate. By the way, that just means foreigner, doesn't mean extraterrestrial. I always get asked that, so just you've worked that out. Six days of work, then one day of Sabbath. Now, did you catch it? It is unto the Lord. In other words, it is called, it is a day where you are called to worship God and rest. God does something so important here. He ties this back, not just into himself, but creation. If you want to understand how the Bible works and do it really well, and not just be tossed to and fro by every opinion on Instagram and every, look, here it is. Anything that God says is true before sin entered the world and is embedded in creation is his design and cannot be disputed. So when God rested on the seventh day, he's saying something. Marriage, gender, having children, the call to work, to guard the environment are all actions that you see pre-fall in creation and are tied to creation. And since God is creator, he says these things stand and cannot be changed, no matter what culture you're part of. So God says, Exodus 20, 11, for six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. One wrote, Israel's day-to-day life is creation. God saved Israel to be a new creation community whereby all things would become new. This is a reconnection with the Garden of Eden as Israel, think about this, is poised to enter into the promised land, which is described to them in this moment as a new garden. By resting on the seventh day, Israel is not just following God's command. Here's something more important. They're actually following God's personal lead. They're doing what God himself did. The pattern is not a burden, but delight and high honor. By ceasing his own work on the seventh day, God called it to be different or separate, or as the command says, put it holy by reimagining it. So in God's wisdom, he has given us a day to spend sacred time, holy time, to deepen our relationship with God, but not just to do that. It's a time also to play, to be refreshed physically, emotionally, and mentally. A theology of rest is being built here. Worship and rest, as Eugene Peterson said, it is the time to pray and play. This is the heart of God who, like a good father, keeps giving us a gift that we keep kicking away. Here's how another wrote it. Let's think about this in conjunction with the verses in Exodus that say that Sabbath is rooted in the nature of God himself. God worked on six days and rested. When Jesus came along, he says Sabbath is rooted in the nature and needs of people, not God. So is this a contradiction? No, no, no. Don't don't misunderstand. He says people are made in the image of God. 
Therefore, both things are true. The Sabbath principle comes from the nature of God. And since we are as humans made in his pattern and in his image, Sabbath is naturally appropriate and fitting for our needs too. One of the most basic principles of personality where the divine or human is the need for the rhythmic alteration between work and rest. God worked in, in a creative way for six days, and he rested on the seventh. The fourth command is not only written on tablets of stone. It is written on the tablets of our hearts, on our bodies, on our emotions, on our minds. This law is actually written into every cell of every human body. If we are to thrive, we must learn that this Sabbath principle is one of the moral laws of the universe. This is the way God is. This is the way the universe is. The rhythm of life comes from the rhythmic throbbing of the heart of God himself. Tides rise and tides fall. Day alternates with night. Seasons change. Dry, wet, hot, cold. Nature has a rhythm. There is a time for fruit. There's a time for rest. And all of this is regulated by divine law in principle. And so God comes and he says to we who know him personally to take time to worship him personally and in community and thank him for what he's done. But it's not just a moment of worship. It's a day to rest, to play, to enjoy creation, to be family, to eat, to make love if you're married, to enjoy family, friends, food, all under his smile. It is a not today, it's not a day to worry about if you can play cards or not. But that's only the very first purpose. Listen when the command is repeated in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 5.12. Observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, the Sabbath isn't just to worship and it's not just to play or to rest. It's to remember. Every time in any church, but including ours, we do the Lord's Supper or communion or Eucharist, whatever you call it. We are called to what? Remember the death and resurrection of Jesus and all that means to us. But what many of us miss is this. The reason why we are commanded and invited to worship God weekly is to remind us that we actually are no longer slaves and we are free. It was Eli Wetzel, the Holocaust survivor, who coined the phrase that we all now use, lest we forget. One right, such a forgetting would be irresponsible to forget and in the end leads us to deny the past and changing our now. This is not a call for some sentimental nostalgia. Remembering is a memory that gives meaning to the past. An authentic act of remembering, listen in please, allows the past to inform and animate the present and enables us to be fully present in our current challenges and gives us hope in the future. The past is not a golden age to be rehearsed. Rather, it is a retelling of those events in the past that matter. And telling the past instructs, informs, and encourages us to live in the light of the present with the past. Or as one said, if we remember God's day, we'll remember that he's delivered us from the slavery of sin. But if we forget that we came out of sin, we will quickly find ourselves back there. So the idea is that God gives us Sabbath so we gather together and we are reminded that before we encountered God through Jesus by the Spirit, 
Sin owned us. The devil owned us. Death was the end, and hell was our place we were going. And now none of those things speaks over our life anymore because Jesus is Lord. But if you stop being Sabbath-oriented, you will begin to go back to the things you once hated. Now we get to the New Testament, and we say, well, what happened then? Should we keep the Sabbath from Friday to Saturday? What changed? Well, if you look at Jesus, number one, he broke the Sabbath, it would seem, all the time. And it should also be noted, by the way, that the Sabbath command is the only one that is not repeated in the New Testament as authoritative instruction. Murder, lying, coveting, stealing, idolatry, honor your mom and dad, those are all repeated, but this one is not repeated in the same way. So what's going on? Well, the most striking Sabbath conversation that helps us understand this is found between Jesus and some pastors of the day found in Mark 2. It reads like this. On the Sabbath day, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples were walking along with him, and they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, the pastors of the day, said to him, look, what they're doing is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God, ate the consecrated bread, which is only lawful for priests to eat, and he gave some to his companions. Then he said this to them, the Sabbath was made for man, for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. Now, verse 27 is so important. Sabbath is given for us. One rabbi wrote earlier, the Sabbath is delivered over for your sake, but you are not delivered over to the Sabbath. In other words, this is what Jesus is saying. He's pointing out the origin of the Sabbath. This is God's gift to us. This is a provision for his creation. It's not a day of burden. It's not a day of laws. It's not a day only Christian music, but not non-Christian music. It's not, well, you can't go fishing and not swim. No, we should not on a Sabbath day ever be looking over our back and going, oh, did I fulfill all the rules? If you're doing that, you're already violating the sabbath god one god one person wrote created the sabbath the idea of sabbath for the well-being of human beings not the other way around god intends the sabbath to be a gracious gift a release notice from the necessity of a seven-day toil so anyone who interprets the bible as to make a sabbath burden or inhibit the free course of God's mercy is just showing their ignorance of God and his purposes. So don't miss this. Jesus comes and says, you have made this command of God so burdensome that no one's having fun anymore. (laughs) And then Jesus goes to a place that is so wrong, so offensive, if it is, if not true, it's blasphemy, it's worthy of death. Jesus says, oh, and just so you know, pastors of the day, just so you know, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, just saying. And we go, what does that mean? This is what it means. I and the Father who created the Sabbath and who rested on the seventh day were one. Let me break this down. I'm God. It's my day. You're all messed up. Shh. Sit down. Now, you've got to understand the power of this. This 32-year-old guy just claimed to be God in flesh. And this is why the Pharisees want to and end up killing him. But his point is this. You, as the representatives of God, have actually taken the joy of God and the freedom of God, and you have made it dust in their mouths. Another person said the observance of days and seasons is not to be the sole element that distinguishes Christians from all the other people. 
What Jesus affirms is the Sabbath is for doing good. Jesus never criticizes the law that requires the Sabbath to be treated holy. He simply affirms the Sabbath can become an occasion to do good rather than just refraining from work. Their criterion is mercy, not ritual. The question then is not whether something is or is not allowed, but whether it helps or hinders those who are in need. To do evil, he writes, is wrong all seven days of the week. To do good is needed all seven days of the week. Christians should be distinguished by their good deeds. So after Jesus died and rose from the dead, something happened. Not all, but many Christians stopped meeting on Saturdays and started meeting on Sundays. And they started meeting on Sundays because Jesus rose on Sunday. If you don't know why churches tend to meet on Sunday, that's the reason why. And this seems to become the pattern in the church, even though originally most Christians were still Jewish. Acts 27, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. 1 Corinthians 16, 12, on the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. Even John, Jesus' best friend, when he was given the book of Revelation, encountered his best friend, it says in Revelation 1.10, on the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit. And so the question, is it, is it wrong to meet on Sundays and not on Saturdays? Or is, it, or is it right to meet on Saturdays and not on Sundays? And then Paul comes along, who's one of the best Jewish thinkers of his day, and he writes this in Colossians 2.16 to both Jews and non-Jews who have accepted Jesus as Messiah. He writes like this, Therefore... Don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festival or new moon celebration or a, wow, Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Here's the point. No matter what day you choose Sabbath, you better choose one. And on that day, here's the summary that we see through all of the scriptures. Number one, God stopped and rested and enjoyed creation. And since God stopped and rested and enjoyed creation, and he wasn't just exhausted, he savored it, God is demonstrating that we will also need to stop, and we cannot always be working, and we cannot always have a pedal to the metal, I've got to work seven days a week to get ahead in life, always moving, always on social media, always going, going, going. God comes and says, hey church, I just want to ask you a question. Do you even believe in Sabbath? Just so you know, God says to us, because it's just as important as do not murder, do not lie, do not steal. It's not a suggestion or a nice, nice rhythm. No, it's a command. So do you have a Sabbath? Do you have half a Sabbath? Do you have a quarter of one? God says, why would you reject a gift you need? And then here's the moment. Do you think as a human being you are more than me? See, whether we know it or not, when we declare to God by our thoughts, by our actions, and by our schedules that we don't need Sabbath, we are saying to the face of the God that we love, we know better than you. Do you know what that's called, by the way? That's called idolatry. See, we're not machines. We're made in God's image. Rest is part of being human. And it's the best thing to obey God's will. Sabbath is to be intentionally setting time aside for worship, to rest, to play, and to be fully human. Now, how does this work out? Authors worked it out in three different ways. Number one, Sabbath gives us space in the environment to worship. 
The idea of Sabbath is time to worship God, enjoy him, practicing his presence, to hear from him and be with his people. It's a time to encounter him. It's a time to be reminded of what he's done and how he has saved us from the grip of death, the demonic sin, and given us new life. I love when one pastor wrote these words, it takes time to be holy. Anyone want to say amen to that? Oh, yes, it does. And he keeps writing, the relationship between the first three commands and the fourth now become increasingly clear. The first three commands impress on the Christian the necessity, indeed the priority to worship. And the fourth command ensures the time which is required for the worship. When viewed together, these commands inform us that it takes time to be holy. The fourth command prohibits preoccupation with a normal activity of work so people can stop and worship God. The Sabbath day should be filled with spiritual activities and we're willing participants knowing we're going to connect with God and others. What we call in this church all the time, practicing the guaranteed places of encounter. Our holy day should be filled with celebrate big and connect small and walk with Jesus. It should be a priority for you. It should be a priority for us. Because God himself has demonstrated it. But it's not just a day of doing church things. Because some of us grew up in church church traditions, right? You're at early prayer meeting, and then you're at church, and then you're at Sunday school, then you're at church, then you go home and rest, but you're not really rest because it's a family fight, then you come back to church, and then you go to bed. No. You've got to gather with community. This is non-negotiable, by the way, what we're doing right now. This is part of Sabbath. But it's not just a day of religious activity. It's a day for rest. Sabbath should be restful. Like I said, we pray and we play. It should not be a day of laptops and checking emails and Slack messages and iPhones and work and work and more work. It should be a day to really play, to have fun, to eat good food, to have family time. If you're married, it's a great day to have sex. It's a day for food and fun. It's time to stop and look at nature. Oh my goodness, there are birds that are alive. Actually, don't do this. Look up. It's living. It's there it's real um do real community like it's a moment to just enjoy god's world mark buchanan in his book the rest of god says it's here and only here that the fight really begins he wrote these words to refuse sabbath is to to is in effect is in effect to spurn a gift of freedom it's to resume willingly to what we once cried out for God to deliver us from. It's choosing what we once shunned. Slaves don't rest. Slaves can't rest. Slaves, by definition, have no freedom to rest. Ready? Rest, it turns out, is a condition of being free. Wow. God calls us to live in freedom that he won for us by his own outstretched arm. Sabbath is a refusal to go back to Egypt. But there's very one large, very grim obstacle keeping every one of us away from Sabbath. It's the problem, he writes, of taskmasters. Oh yes, God drowned the Egyptian taskmasters. The true, it's true, he dragged the whole Egyptian army down to the muddy, weedy, weedy sea, red sea bottom. But the problem is some survived. They clung to the floatsome of our guilt and worry and ended up now marooned in our heads. It's actually worse. All sorts of us as Christians are helping them survive. We're throwing them ropes and pulling them ashore and we're resuscitating the unconscious ones. Now there's a whole noisy, jostling colony of them living in our heads, and we lapse into old habits. Oh, they swagger and they bark like men in authority ought to, since they're inclined to give it that way. And he says, when I try to step back from my day's work, the taskmaster in my head, 
Oh, he'll look up menacingly and he'll advance towards me and he'll say things like, what, what do you think you're doing? Well, I, I'm just taking a few minutes, you know, to, to sit down. Oh, oh, you're taking a few minutes to sit down, are you? Oh, how quaint. Oh, how, how charming. Let me just take a moment to remind you of the few billion things you still have to hu- do, the huge stinking pile of things you've left undone. You're so weak and you're so pathetic. I'm warning you, there are a thousand things left to do. There are a million things to worry about. Get off your lazy sprawling, we'll say, backside and get busy. He writes, this happened to me even today, even though I even know better as a Christian. I laid down for no other reason just to lay down. And within one minute, the taskmaster in my head spotted me and strolled over and started his tirade. What are you going to clean your office? And, and have you phoned the mechanic about the rattling in your truck? And by the way, what about that situation at the church with the couple you need to counsel? And do you know how many emails you haven't responded to? And you think you can just like whittle away a few hours here and there on the couch? You are so smug. You're so rude. Actually, you're so freaking lazy. What kind of time-frittering, excuse-mongering, sad sack of sluggard are you anyhow? Lolling about like all this work is done. You should be ashamed of yourself. Here's the point. The battle is, will we as people who are free in Jesus be mastered by our time and our work or will we let God be God and he be Lord? This is God calling us to make the hard discipline choices of working hard for six days. You can't be lazy, by the way. But on the seventh day, Oh, to rest in a world that does not believe sleep is good, that sleep is dangerous to the bottom line, and sleep is actually sort of like optional. To put it another way, Sabbath is given to us to be human again. Here's the last thing. Sabbath is given to teach us and invite us into worship. Sabbath is to help us play and rest and enjoy and not work. But the most shocking moment is Sabbath is not just about worship. Sabbath is about trust. A few years ago, um, I was going over a sermon on a Friday. God came close and said to to me, "Um, what are you doing? I said, Lord, I'm going over your message. And he said, "Um, and why are you doing it? I said, well, Lord, we've had this conversation, but let me inform you, creator of heaven and earth again about it, just in case I don't know. Uh, you know that I have a learning disability, I'm dyslexic, I work very hard, I get my ser- sermons done by Thursday because I want to honor the rest of the staff and the worship team and all the PowerPoint, yeah, all that done so, and then you know because I learn orally, I go over my sermon once on Thursday, once on Friday, and once on Saturday because this, I learn things orally and I'll be ready for Sunday. And he said to me, yes, I know, but I'm asking you, why are you doing it? I said, well, Lord, I, I've just been quite clear, I think, about why I need to do this. And he said, John, you need to do it? I said, well, of course I do. I I remind you, I'm dyslexic. I I could almost hear heaven laugh. And he said, oh, so you don't trust me. I said, oh, no, I trust you. He says, no, you don't. You actually believe that when you stand up on a Sunday, you will not be prepared enough, even though you've prepared. And so you're going to violate Sabbath, because Friday is my Sabbath. You're going to violate Sabbath because you don't actually trust me to provide. See, so many of us in Toronto, seven days a week, looking at emails, responding to calls, we 
believe God loves us, but we've got to make it done, get it done. And if it's not done by us, he's not going to step in. And God says, but I created everything in six days and rested. So the real challenge in this moment is not just, oh, do I need to learn Sabbath? Yes. Do I need to learn how to rest or play again? Yes. Do I need to make what we're doing right now priority? Yes. It's actually deeper than this. Who do you actually trust in? Do you actually believe God is good? We sing it all the time. Oh, he's a good, good father. He's never going to let me down. Oh, oh, yeah, we're no longer slaves of fear. We're, really? I would say that many of us, when we sing songs about God's broken all these chains in our life, we're thinking, yeah, he's helped me with sexual addiction or, or, or bondage. He's bringing a marriage that's dead back to life or, or I, you know, I didn't know Jesus and now I do. And all of that's true. But very few of us very few of us would ever consider one of the biggest chains that's choking us, not just physically and emotionally and spiritually, is a lack of Sabbath. And so here's what we're going to do. We're just going to pray, because this is a conversation in your connect groups, in your own walk, if you're married, with friends, to work at a little bit more than just a three-minute response. But I just want to say to everyone, God is good. God is not an evil taskmaster, and he wants to set us all free. <laughs> and I remind you, one last thing, Sabbath points us to eternity. So if you want to do this, you can put your hands open, you can stand or sit, uh, where, whatever set you're at, I'm just going to lead in prayer, and then we're going to respond. So number one, thank you, God, that you teach us it is good to savor things. Thank you, actually, in this moment, by the Holy Spirit, you are actually saying to certain people, not everything in life has to have a totalitarian purpose, a, a, a reason why it happens. You can just savor and enjoy life. But many of us here, uh, across our whole church, are realizing we think this is optional, this isn't a command, we know better than God. Like, so we're going to ask this Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit among us to teach us rest. May we be so marked by an unusual, unnormal worship, play, and pray experience that all sorts of non-Christians and people from other faiths will say, I don't understand how you get to rest and I don't, and we can point them to the great rest giver. Lord, forgive our church where we have not made Sabbath priority, where we either have made it optional or we've actually made it so duty-bound that actually it's just death. But in either way, here's what we pray. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Begin to build and rest. Begin, Holy Spirit, to talk to Christians about changing their calendars, changing how they think, trusting you about work. Some people, Lord, are saying, oh my goodness, I'll never be able to do my job and not work seven days a week. Well then, Lord, speak to them about their job because you're the great provider. But whatever you want to do, Lord, we pray we'd be marked by a new level of rest. And as our world refuses to sleep and gets faster, we will slow because God has given us the gift of not being slaves anymore. We do this. All glory be to God the Father. Glory be to God the Son. Glory be to God the Holy Spirit, who is our great friend and rest giver. Amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.